Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Amen and amen. Well, blessed to you, each one of you. We have already had a wonderful time here today, and I, like many of you, am full of bacon, and I am full of blessings, and I am full of the Word of God, the Bible. And so uh, it is a joy to be here. And folks, if you were uh, not able to be with us and you're online there, well, you definitely missed the bacon. I hope you can still smell it. I think I still smell it a little bit on me. But uh, anyway, um, I'm so grateful that uh, we can be here today to talk about my favorite subject, and that is our great God. We are coming to the last uh, message or two on the subject of the attributes of God. We've entitled it, Who is God? Now, there's all kinds of people who would tell you who God is. And you can go on the internet or you can watch on the video and people will tell you. But I'm going to go to the only reliable source and that is the blessed Word of God. And the Word of God gives us who He is. So we've talked about God. We've talked about His holiness and His faithfulness and His goodness. And today, God is wise. He is wise. Now, I must admit, we humans are not always the brightest. Our staff found a few pictures for me that, uh, and for us, I think that might illustrate just that. Certainly, humans do some dumb things. There you go. At least it's a safety ladder, you can see that. All right, pretty ingenious, actually. Well, no words for that, I don't know what to say about that. But anyway, next one. <laughs> yeah. Notice he's got uh, ear protectors on at least though, you know, but all right. And then the final one, there you go. That's exactly why. You'd never see women doing that for sure, but anyway. Well, now some people actually are educated. They have lots of knowledge, but still are not wise. A uneducated father with his educated son went on a camping trip. They set up their tent and fell asleep. Some hours later, the father woke up his son. Father, look up to the sky and tell me what you see, son. Son, I see millions and millions of stars. Father, what does that tell you, son? Well, the know-it-all college-educated son said, well, dad, astronomically, it means that there are probably billions and billions of galaxies and planets. The father slaps his son and says, no, dummy, it means that somebody has stolen our tent. <laughs> yes, sometimes you can have knowledge, but not common sense or wisdom as the Bible calls it. But the truth of scripture is clear. God alone is wise. Only he solely and wholly 
possesses all wisdom. That's exactly why our Lord's reluctant half-brother, Jude, exclaimed in his edgy epistle that absolutely, hands down, Christianity's God, as it says in Jude 1 and verse 25, is the only wise God. He is the only wise God. All aspects of wisdom are locked up in him. And if it were not for God's good grace pouring out his wisdom on us, none of us would have any common sense at all. It is not only that he is always, but scripture proclaims that he is perfectly wise. There's no defect in his wisdom. Mankind might be wise in one thing, but frankly a nincompoop in another thing. Not our glorious God. Our God is perfectly wise. Just as Jesus, our Lord, stated in Matthew 5 and verse 48, our heavenly Father is perfect. And so today it is a thrill to be able to brag legitimately on our perfect, wise God. And so let's bow for prayer for a few moments. Father, my heart has been so blessed since the very first moments early this morning in the dark. And then, Lord, being able to walk up to that beautiful prayer forest and see all the bright faces that work so hard. Lord, the beautiful music, wonderful food and fellowship. Lord, we have had a full day and it's still morning. Thank you. Now, Lord, I pray that you will just collect our hearts together. Pour into our hearts, Lord, the wisdom of God. Thank you for teaching us today. Bless these who have joined us online, Lord. I know that each one is here by divine appointment. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, God is wise. His wisdom is unique in at least three ways. His wisdom, first of all, is unrivaled. Unrivaled in wisdom. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, found himself addressing a nation hurtling headlong into the judgment of God. But rather than to respond with humility, the people were arrogant. Look at Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 7. He said, Among all men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. I think it's time for you to wise up, is what Pastor Jeremiah was saying. Wise up, Israel. There is nobody as smart as God. Maybe you ought to do what he says. His wisdom is unrivaled. Number two, it is uncommon. Very unique, God's wisdom in this world. In Job chapter 36, the brightest of Job's friend, Elihu, he got it right. Not always did he. But in this case, he did. Behold, God is mighty. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. It's true, some people have knowledge and even wisdom, just amazing wisdom, but it's not unique and uncommon wisdom. It's at best just a, a learned wisdom. God's wisdom is unrivaled, it is uncommon, and thirdly, and finally this morning, it is universal. The pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And when I say first, I mean first. I'm talking about 
back there, AD uh, 30, whatever, Acts chapter 15, verse 18, James, the brother of our Lord, he was right on when he said to everyone, known unto God, <laughs> absolutely known. He knows everything are all his works from the beginning of the world. And that's one of the features of true wisdom. True wisdom knows all the facts and it applies all the facts that are pertinent to any purpose or plan. People might be quite knowledgeable, even wise to a degree, but only God puts all the facts together and puts it there perfectly. For example, for the last few years, they've been planning a so-called low-cost bullet train in California. I think it's supposed to go maybe 60 miles, eventually more miles than that. But thus far, I think the idea has been a disaster. Now, if this venture fails, which certainly seems possible, it will fail because they had knowledge but not wisdom. They had facts, they had all the scientific studies, but they really didn't do it wisely. Our God sees all the facts. He puts everything in focus, each fact in relationship to the other. Therefore, he is able to make things work towards a predetermined goal with flawless precision. That's the quality of a wise God. Now, let's get into the heart of our topic this morning. God's wisdom, I think, appears primarily in two big areas. Number one, he is wise in what he knows. He is wise in what he knows. He knows, first of all, the most profound information. The most profound information. Now in that upbeat Psalm, Psalm 147, notice what it says in verse number four and five. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Imagine naming every single star, knowing the stars and then naming them. I mean, in our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, it is thought that there might be a hundred billion stars. Now in the discernible universe, there are a hundred billion galaxies. That means they think that the stars would be a billion trillion stars, or one to the 20 whatever power. A rough estimate of that would be take all the grains of the sand and all the oceans and all the land everywhere, take every grain of sand and dirt that there is, that is exactly how many stars there are. And God has a name for all of them? <laughs> Man, now websites will promise you that they will name a star after someone, you know, I'm sure some of you guys have named a star after your girlfriend. For $50, you can name a star, but I'll tell you what, God knows every name of every star. He is wise in what he knows. He knows the most profound of information. He also knows, number two, the most prophetic of information. God's the only one wise enough to know the future. Let's turn to Daniel chapter two. Daniel chapter 2 and in verse 27, we have a godly young man, barely wet behind the ears, placed in a pressure cooker of a situation. 
The nation was at upheaval. Leaders were struggling. Nothing was working. The smartest, the most experienced that there were had no answers. <laughs> kind of sounds like today. Not a lot has changed. Up steps a dynamic young Christian man. Look at verse 27. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king. <laughs> he took his life in his hands to talk up so boldly, but I'm sure he was respectful. He said the secret, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar now, king of the great Persian empire, which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, <laughs> wow, he's right out there now, these wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king. They cannot, he said, they cannot know. Um, he said, now respectfully, king, let me just say that maybe you ought to stop listening to these guys that with all of their science and with all of their facts and with all of their so-called knowledge and all of their so-called information, maybe you ought to stop listening to them and maybe you ought to start listening to the wise God. That's a pretty good plan. And then he clarifies in verse number 28, there is a God in heaven, hallelujah, there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets, he gives wisdom, he maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. When Daniel there was speaking to that king and he goes on to give him that amazing prophecy, that was a prophetic word of wisdom. Only God knows that. God knows all the things that are coming. Now, folks, these are crazy days that we are living in. And while we grieve at what we see, and yes, even a sense of indignation, I never wake up in the morning hopeless, clueless. I always feel like in my heart, Thank God, I don't feel proud. I just thank the Lord. I wake up knowing I know the answer. <laughs> I wish I could sit down with the leaders. Folks, I'm being honest with you. Forgive me for being so blunt, but so many of the leaders in our country and our state are just plain stupid. I mean, I, I don't mean to be unkind, but it's just stupid, folks. There is an answer. And if we would, just like Daniel said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I think you need to stop listening to the educators, the magicians, and everybody else, and listen to the Word of God. Now, I'm grieved. I'm not happy. I'm not, you know, it's no fun, but I don't ever feel hopeless. I, I don't ever feel like, oh, you know, what's the hope? Man, I know, I know what my mission is, and I know so many people say, well, I've got to move to here, or I've got to move to there. Now, some folks need to, I understand. But I will tell you, I'm not moving. Good night. This place is getting darker than ever. We've never needed light here more than ever. And that's why I'm sticking here. And I'm doing what I can to make a difference with the wisdom of God. The well-known Christian singer Jeremy Camp has a beautiful chorus answering this same thought. So many questions. The world is reaching and searching so many hurting, so many lost. With all this striving, who can we lean on? Creation's crying out from the dark. I know the answer to every question, the one solution to every fear. I know my helper, where it comes from. Jesus 
He is the answer. And that's what we want to tell everybody, and that's exactly what uh, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. He is wise in what he knows. God is, knows the most profound information. God knows, number two, the most prophetic information. And number three, he knows the most private information. Not especially something we maybe want to hear this morning, but God knows the most private reaches of our heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, the preacher had to get up, uh, up front and personal with each of those people. Some of them were hiding in their mental safe houses thinking, uh, you know, I'm good. I, you know, God's not going to know this or see this. Look at verse 10 of chapter 17. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. It's just another word for examining the minds. We know where the reins are, the controlling factors. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Whatever is going on in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit, God sees it all, he knows it all, and he perfectly understands it. The furthest reaches of our heart, even the most cleverly disguised of concepts, God searches them all out. Why and how? Because he's wise. God understands men, he understands women. God understands everyone. I am excited, however, because just this week, you may have heard about it, a new book came out. It is called How to Understand Women. I got a picture of it. There you go. There you go. There's the book, How to Understand Women. <laughs> but God understands women, and God understands us men. He sure does. Number two, God is wise in what he knows. Second of all, God is wise in what he does. The way our great God can put everything together is beyond imagination. It is beyond imagination, first of all, in the work of his creation. God's creation on this earth is phenomenal. It is the ultimate light parade. Nobody but a wise God could so meticulously put a world together. His wisdom is seen in the variety of flowers, the beauty, the fragrance. There are over 400 different groups of flowering plants. Each of those groups has several, if in some cases, many. I mean, there are literally thousands of different kinds of flowers and fragrances. God in his wisdom just spoke each one of those into existence. His wisdom is seen not only in the flowers and in the nature, but in atmosphere itself. Everything in its proper place. Everything rotating, sequencing as it ought to. Even a small move closer to the sun would have a huge impact on us. Glaciers would melt, sea levels would rise, most of the planet would be flooded, and without that land to absorb the heat, the temperatures on Earth would skyrocket. All of us would turn into a bunch of KFC crispy tenders. <laughs> I mean, just in a few short minutes. Any further away from the sun, a shift in the orbit would freeze the planet. The oceans would be giant, like giant ice rinks. A shift in the Earth's orbit would be 
catastrophic on the solar system. Even a minor change around our sun would cause planets to collide. I guess for some reason the Earth and Jupiter have a big issue with each other. I mean, we'd have a bunch of bumper cars out there in space. Folks, God's wisdom is seen. His wisdom is seen in the dark and the light. That's why God said in Isaiah 45 and verse 7, I form the light and its purposes. I form the darkness and its purposes. If it was all night, there would be little or no working. If it was all day, we would work all day and never be able to rest. And you night shift people know exactly what I'm talking about, how disorienting that would be. His wisdom is seen in creation. It's seen in the lights. It's seen in the plants. His wisdom is seen in the land and the ocean. If it was all sea, there'd be no vegetables. There'd be no grain. There'd be no cattle. There'd be no bacon for breakfast if God didn't put all that together. If it was all dirt and no water, it would be California. Anyway, but, um, but God puts it all together. God is amazing how wisely he interweaves it all. We say with David in Psalm 104 and verse 24, Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works in wisdom. God so wisely put everything together. Sometimes they talk about simple little uh, one-cell organisms. And uh, I uh, remember back in the day, we'd look in some of those microscopes at some of those simple organisms. <laughs> Not so simple. I mean, just amazing. God, even the simplest things are manifold in their wisdom, how God has made. Everything in this world is a miracle of God's wisdom. God is wise in what he does the work of his creation. Wise in what he does in the work of his redemption. The work of his redemption. The whole work of salvation is not just a wonderful story, although it is a wonderful story. It is a masterpiece of divine wisdom. If God had left humans to find a way to save lost people, we would have never figured it out. First of all, we would never even come close to understanding the requirements of God. I mean, to this day, so many people are still having to figure out the very basics of salvation. Cain and Abel had that problem way back when. Cain just couldn't get into his mind. God said, there must be a sacrifice. Cain said, no, 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 no. You want the work of my hands. God said, no, I want a sacrifice. And to this day, 6,000 or almost years later, people are still can't get it figured out because man has a different way of salvation than God does. Now, let's say that mankind could figure out salvation. He could figure out a way to make this sacrifice. And if that was the case, well, I'll guarantee it, mankind would procrastinate. We all procrastinate. I mean, no matter what it is, we procrastinate. I mean, to this day, there are many people who put off getting saved. I mean, what could be a higher priority than putting yourself secure in heaven? And people put it off. We procrastinate everything. 
And that's why some people procrastinate saving and thinking somehow when they turn 70, they're just going to magically have all kinds of savings. Folks, you cannot procrastinate some things. And salvation is like that. Now, let's say mankind did come up with the plan and did say, okay, well, let's go ahead and figure this thing out. We've got to have a sacrifice. God is unequivocal in what he desires. Look what it says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number 20. The prophet warned his people, the soul that sinneth, it must die. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, buts about that. I mean, there's no way to read into that anything or read. No, it's clear. So here's the deal. If then, because of our sin, a death must be paid, all right, if a death has to be paid and I pay it, then I'm gone because I can only give one life, my life. Wow, this is, how can we do this? That's where the wisdom of God stepped in. God the Father said, let's let God become man. And so God the Son became man, incarnate. He suffered, 100% man, 100% God. God's justice could be satisfied and man's soul could be saved. Now, God was now able to condemn sin at the same time, save sinners. Now, folks, I'm telling you, that's what I call smart. How God could satisfy his justice and his mercy at the same time, it's just beyond me. That's because God is wise. The redemption plan is wise. Creation is wise. Folks, I think I'm smart. When I remember to apply the redemption code when I make an online purpose, God applies the redemption every time a lost sinner pushes the buy button. And when you push the buy button, God says redeemed. And he does, God's amazing, wise, how God does this. God is wise in what he knows. But God is also wise in what he does. He is wise in the work of his creation. He is also wise in the work of his redemption. And then he is also wise in the work of his intervention. How God intervenes into this world to affect great and positive change, often by small means, absolutely genius. I mean, just genius. My beloved bride and I, a couple of years ago, uh, decided to go uh, visit the city it was one of those warm, coolishly warm October days, I think it was. You could smell that uh, sea uh, ocean there. We were dodging the seagulls. We were holding hands, walking along the pier there. Uh, sea lions were barking. And as we were strolling along, we heard the most engaging, energetic music. Now I walked over, we walked over to where that was, fully expecting there to be a small band or something. I mean, there was percussion, there was all kinds of things. Lo and behold, one man was sitting there surrounded by garbage cans, a bunch of kettles and some kind of strings. He was just pounding away, something like that. And uh, he was just gone. I mean, I couldn't believe it, how one person could make so much music out of a bunch of garbage is beyond me. 
And yet, I'm reminded that day that the less likely the instrument, the more wise the player. Our God can take the small, insignificant things and he can make, uh, it, is a, it is an amazing credit to his wisdom how God intervenes through and makes beautiful music. It's incredible. In November, excuse me, in Numbers chapter 21, the armies of Israel were emerging from a barren wilderness. They had the opportunity now to take possession of a wonderful land of promise. <laughs> Not the most beautiful country, but a key place. It wasn't going to be a walk in the park. And soon the people began to grumble and Grumbler Gulch appeared. God didn't take grand, kindly to the ingratitude, and so he sent a bunch of snakes to bite them and sting them, as it were, for their sinful attitudes. And then God, in his mercy, created a healing. What did he do? Was it a vaccine? No. Was it a pricey medical treatment? No. What did God do to heal the people? Well, look at verse 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass. So all these snakes were out among the people. How are they going to be uh, healed? An antidote, an anti-venom? No. Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. What in the world? Unbelievable. Now, if God had used some expensive, rare, you know, uh, metal from the earth or some plant from some far off country or some expensive, you know, treatment, if God had allowed that, then that item would have got all the glory. But what could there be in simply looking at a brass snake? Nothing was applied to the wound. All they had to do was look and it worked. How God intervenes into the affairs of this world simply by asking for wisdom, simply by crying out to God is absolutely genius. God is wise in how and everything that he does, how he intervenes. God would save the apostle Paul. He needed to get him to Rome so that he could preach the blessed gospel. But Paul was under arrest in Jerusalem. What was he under arrest for? Because he had broken the law? Well, basically Paul had church. He was arrested and not and put in jail for having church. Now let me pause right here and just say, friends, you know that that day is coming in America. That day, and maybe sooner than you think, the day is surely coming when it will be illegal to be in church. Guaranteed. And I will tell you, we even had a little taste of that last year in California. And then here we have the Apostle Paul. He was thrown in jail for disobeying the mandates of the government. Paul knew, however, he was a citizen. Because of that, a Roman citizen, he demanded a fair trial. So the Roman commander in charge set up a pretrial hearing, which, crazy, ended up in chaos. Paul was then put back in protective custody. 
And in Acts chapter 23, we find the rest of the story, where of all things, what an army couldn't do to save Paul and what influential people couldn't do to buy his way out of there, God poked Paul's little nephew to overhear some Jews plotting who came to the commander and told him, you better do something. Then the chief captain took him by the hand, went with him aside, that he would even listen to this young man. And he asked him, what is it that thou hast to tell me? And so God intervened in the life of Paul by this young child, maybe a young teenage, his nephew. One person saved the life of the apostle Paul. How thrilling it was that God would use his little nephew. God intervenes in small ways to do big things. Why and how? Because he's wise. God wisely puts it all together. The apostle Paul, looking back on this, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 said, I would have you understand, brethren, something, that the things which happened have fallen out this is a good kind of falling out. I have a falling out. They have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. You talk about genius. I mean, just genius. I'm always amazed at some genius hack that somebody does, and it's just small. It's like, how? I mean, it's just amazing. It's just thrilling. It just... I'm always amazed at the things people come up with. I remember years ago now, we had a wonderful evangelist came to our church. and uh, His name is uh, Dr. Peter Lord. Unique thing about Dr. Lord was that he uh, was raised in Jamaica. And he always, when he spoke, he had this wonderful little Jamaican accent. And it was uh, just a delight, wonderful Bible teacher. But he was raised, of all things, on a banana plantation. Well, um, I'm sad to say I don't remember all the things, but I don't remember much anything that he said, except for one thing. He told us how to peel a banana. You talk about genius little hack. I'm talking about wise. He said, if you peel a banana, never start up with the stem. Everybody does that. By the time you get it open, it's all mushy and messed up. He said, you always peel a banana from the bottom up. And I mean to tell you, I've been doing that for 30 years. And while everybody's still trying to open their banana, I'm there just eating away. And I'm telling you what, folks, I'm just saying small things sometimes can make a big difference. And it's thrilling how that God intervenes into the life of mankind. And then the wisdom of God perhaps most profoundly is seen in the fact that he uses the sins of people to carry on the work of God. And all the while, he never has a hand in the sin. God allows sin. He permits sin. And in fact, he even uses sin. But he never approves of it. Perhaps the most striking and well-known example is that of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. It was the most sinful of all actions. God the Father hated it, and yet he approved it. He allowed it, and he used it. 
Our God had no hand in the sin behind the action. He did, however, have a hand in the action where the sin was found, but not in the sin itself. My first Volkswagen, I've had two. The first one I had, very similar, it's a 63. This one I have is a 1958. Now my first Volkswagen had some serious mechanical issues. Basically, if you have an air-cooled Volkswagen, you have serious mechanical issues. But I'll tell you, it had its issues. It definitely needed to be retired. And when uh, uh, Volkswagens retire, they go to the old Volks home. Anyway, um, so uh, it had lots and lots of problems. But I still drove the car. Now, I was not part of the car. I was just in the car. It was a very harsh car. It had lots of rust. It had lots of problems. But it was my vehicle. It got me to the place I needed. In God's wisdom, he uses harsh, rusty, dirty, not nice things at all as vehicles for his work. And yet all the while is not part of it. He has no hand in it. It is his vehicle. That's why Psalm 76 is so amazing. It's a hymn of praise to God for the destruction of the evil ruler Sennacherib. Here he said, I cannot believe how you did it, but it's incredible. And look what this verse says. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee and thank the Lord the remainder of wrath God restrains if it had not been for God's restraining of wrath where would we be adversities which God's people suffer from evil people are somehow often made for the glory of God someone for example has an evil plot at work their plan is to get you fired and let's say it works you are unjustly let go. And then you end up getting a better job where you have more time for your family, more time for God. You have a better salary. You're able to give more, serve the Lord more. The heathen rage and plot against the Lord. And yet the more God brings them up. That's why in Psalms 2, I love it. It says that the more people rage, the more God sets his king upon the holy hill of Zion, or truth. Psalm 2 and verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God said, They keep pouring it on, and I just keep raising him up. A donkey had fallen into a hole. The owner desperately wanted to get the donkey out of the hole. But how could they do it? This is a very, very heavy animal. And so they had an idea. We will throw dirt into the hole. The owner called his neighbors. They came over with their shovels. And the more dirt they threw on that donkey, the higher he rose until he walked out of that hole. Now, folks, you can be sure of that this morning. Our wise God has plans of good and never evil for us. And the more the world throws dirt on us donkeys, the higher we rise. 
And that's what God has. God uses the wrath of man for the praise of God. Our two, that's a great illustration, amen? I love that illustration right there. Ha, 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 Woo! I love that illustration. <laughs> Our twofold response then is to rest in God's wisdom. Number one, rest in this truth. The greater the humility, the greater the spiritual comfort. God is all wise and he knows we might get a little big-headed if we see ourselves as having a corner on God's miracles. Now, folks, the Apostle Paul, when what we read was a gracious man. I mean, nobody would put up what he put up with. He wasn't a gracious person. But I will say God put a governor on his engine to keep him from running past God and keep him praying for more grace. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure. <laughs> wow. All the things he went through and God was still working him over. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Now I don't know many of us who feel like we're too successful. <laughs> But it's probably good that God keeps us uh, kind of under wraps because it keeps us more engaged, more focused. Alexander the Great was considered perhaps one of the most, if not the most notable military commanders in history. He was one of the only undefeated in battle. When Alexander saw the breadth of his big Macedonian domain, it is said that he sat there and he wept. For there were no more worlds to conquer. No more worlds to conquer. Folks, how sad it would be to feel like we've arrived. God keeps us humble in a sense so that we keep focused and keep conquering new worlds. Rest in the truth, the wise truth, that the greater the humility, the greater the spiritual comfort. Number two, rest in the truth, that the weaker the body, the stronger the faith. Paul was so encouraged by the people that served with him. He was so encouraged by the faithfulness of his co-laborers. And here's what he spoke in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. For which cause we faint not? For though our outward man perish. Now listen. He describes two different parts of us. Our outward man, that's our body, even our gray cells. Our outward man perish, or it really has issues. Yet the inward man, strangely, is renewed. So while my body and mind is going down, my body, my spirit is going up. Unbelievable. It's renewed day by day. How can that be? Because God is growing us strong on the inside. We will take little strolls. I don't want to use the word hike. We'll take little outdoorsy strolls. And every time we take any kind of a little stroll, I have a walking stick. Now, sometimes when it's more flat, it's just a comforting thing just to have a little stick. 
tap it along and we'll, you know, kind of mess around in the dirt a little bit and see things. But in the rough areas, now listen, the rough areas, that walking stick is more than just a comfort. I lean on it heavy. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, the weaker I get, the more troubled the road, the heavier I'm leaning on the Lord, the closer I'm getting to God. Thank God for these rough patches, which give us the opportunity to grow in faith. The greater the humility, the greater the spiritual comfort. The weaker the body, the stronger the faith. And then finally, rest in the truth. The deeper the loss, now listen, the greater the love. If you have ever lost a loved one, a loved one who is very close to you, you know the truth that the deeper the love, the greater the loss. It really is impossible to put words of grief uh, into perspective. I cried when you passed away. I still cry today. Although I loved you dearly, I couldn't make you stay. A golden heart stopped beating, hard working hands at rest. God broke my heart to prove to me that he only takes the best. And it's true, the greater the love, the deeper the loss. But believe me when I say that it's also true, perhaps more true, that the deeper the loss, the greater the love. When a wise God takes things away, it's because he would have more of our love. Now it takes tremendous faith to say, God has something better. Yes, things can be painful and so difficult, but God will never leave us hung out to dry or empty. He asks us to put something down only because he wants to give us something greater. I saw a little illustration, simple but cute, that I think illustrates this point. He never asks to give us something, but that he doesn't have something more and better. Pastor Jeremiah was sure God was going to do something great, and mighty. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 18, thou shows your loving kindness. What a loving God. Yeah. To thousands, verse 19, great in counsel, wise. You are so wise and loving. And that's the one thing that I tell folks just about every time I meet somebody who's grieving. Well, we can trust that we have a wise God and a loving God. A wise God and a loving God. That's what these two verses say. Mighty in work. For his eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways. If God takes away something you never expected to lose, hear this. He can, and often does, replace it with something you never expected to have. That's our God. That's our wise God. Our twofold response then in light of this, number one, to rest in God's wisdom, and number two, to ask for God's wisdom. 
What could be a greater encouragement to prayer than to know that our God is wise? I mean, who would want to pray to a God who doesn't know everything? <laughs> I want to pray to somebody who knows it all and can figure it out and can do something about it. That's exactly why we pray to God. Look at James chapter 1. I love this verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is a tremendous prayer promise. Look at James chapter 1, verse number 5. If any, yay for that. If any, that means me, that's my name. If you lack wisdom, who doesn't lack wisdom? Let him ask of God. You don't have to pay for the incredible intellectual property that our God has. That giveth, by the way, that's in the, that's in the continual sense. He giveth, he giveth, he giveth, he giveth, and he keeps on giving. To all men, men, women, anybody, children, liberally, more than we could ever, ever, ever imagine. And upbraideth not. That's just an old English way of saying God's not put out or bothered by us asking. And it shall, I'm talking guaranteed, shall be given a, a free gift to him. Personal. God gives it to me, to you. And I'm telling you, what could be better than that? With the goodness of God to desire our greatest welfare and the wisdom of God to plan it and the power of God to actually make it happen, surely we are the most favored of all people. We have a wise God. The great Southern Baptist evangelist, now in heaven, Vance Havner, I think said it best. And with this, I close. If you lack knowledge, go to school. If you lack wisdom, get on your knees. Get on your knees. Let's do that today. Would you stand with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.